Life can be like a box with very important things in it. First, there's a career. And when the career is going the way we want it to and life is moving forward, it couldn't be better. Now, along with that comes the money. Now, this isn't a whole lot. I didn't know if somebody get in my box or not. So I put a dollar bill in, but just imagine this being a whole lot more than this. But, man, when the career is going well, the money's usually coming in, and that makes it nice. I have a friend of mine who likes to say, everything's better with some money involved in it. And so when the money is there and it's coming in, we feel great about that. And then there's health. And if we've got our health, things are going along well. And we can just sort of keep on trucking and take it for granted. Because the heart keeps pumping and the legs keep going and the mind keeps working and health is getting us there. And then there's family and friends. And man, what they do to help get us through life and to be there with us and to be there for us. And then tying it all together is the Word of God. And as long as we've got a Word from God and we've got 66 books of words from God, we're getting through. Our box is complete. And we progress in life. And then Mr. Journey of Life shows up. And what do we do as we go through life and the journey of life is showing up? Once my career. Man, I've worked for this. I've worked for this for years. I got education for this. And now you're telling me you want my work. You're the guy with the pink slip. That's asking me for my job, for my career, and for all that that means. And I don't have any choice. I got to give it up to you. And you don't want the money, do you? You want the money. You're taking the money. I can't buy anything if I don't have money. I can't move forward if I don't have the money. But you want the money. Well, well, I need to get the money from me. Well, that'll make you satisfied. You got my money and you got my career. That, that'll make you happy. You want something else out of this box? Not my health. I got to have my health. I mean, I, I can't even get out of the bed in the morning if I don't have my health. I can't do anything without the health. And you want the health too? Sorry thing. You gave me this stuff. Now you take. Not, not the relationships. You want the relationships? Man, that's like the dearest thing I got. That's even more important to the health. And you now you want the relationships, the friends, the whole bit. So you, you fill my box and now you're emptying my box. And you want the relationships. 
Are you ever satisfied? Well, he didn't take the one thing that he couldn't take. God's word. What do you do in life when God is all you got? What do you do in life when God is all you got? Turn with me in the book of Genesis to chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. In a series of messages on the life of Joseph. And the title of these series is Discovering Joy in the Confusing Will of God. Joseph got up one morning under instructions from his dad, headed out to see his brothers. His box was full. It had career. It had money. He had great health. He had a word from God. He had relationships, friends, family. And by the end of the day, he found himself in a pit with nothing but a word from God. So what do you and I do when all we have is a word from God? We simply trust Him. Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to begin with verse 12. We're going to join the story of Joseph in a place called Dothan. Now, Joseph starts out with instructions from his dad to leave Hebron, which is in the southern part of Israel, and to head north to find his brothers who were tending the sheep and the flocks of sheep that the family owns. He first goes to a town called Shechem, which is 13 miles from Dothan. He wanders around in the field. He says, hey, has anybody seen my brothers? And a guy says, yes, we've seen them. They've gone to Dothan, and so he travels from, on to Dothan from Hebron, where he starts to Dothan is about 80 miles. So he's been on a journey for a number of days. He's wearing that coat of many colors, which we saw last week, is really a royal robe, or, ornamentation on it. Would have been a long robe going down to the ankles and extending to the wrist. That was a robe of management as well as royalty, and it denoted when someone wore it that they were in management. And administration, it aggravated his brothers absolutely no end because when they looked at it, they would have been wearing short tunics, which were designed for hard labor. And when they saw him in his nice ornamental robe, they knew his status was that he was royalty proclaimed by his dad Jacob. And they also knew that he was in a managerial administrative position and that they were going to have to be taking orders. When he shows up, they also know that he's come to check up on them and take a report back to dad. And that doesn't thrill him very much either. And so that's how Jacob shows up in front of his brothers, Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Jacob, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And he found a man, excuse me, and he found a man, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? Seeking my brothers, he said, tell me, please, where are they pastoring the flock? The man said, 
They've gone away. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheo to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletins as an insert, and I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. There are going to be times when God's dream that He's given you for your life is going to seem like it's going to die. The Lord will have given you leadership and guidance and discernment as to how He wanted to take your life and how He wants to use you. And yet there are going to be moments and times when it's going to seem that that dream is not going to happen. Notice in this chapter here, verse chapter 37, that the brothers conspire to kill Joseph. This is not the first time that they've been involved in a murder plot. In fact, in Genesis 34, they got together and wiped out an entire city. So murder for them is something that sort of becomes second nature. You know, sin gets easier the more we engage in it. But sin always requires 
a cover-up. And notice the progression in this story. First, there is jealousy of Joseph, his position and the dreams that God has given him. Mark this down. Jealousy has an appetite which is never satisfied. When we get jealous of somebody or something, that appetite is never going to be satisfied. It only grows. And so there's jealousy. The jealousy leads to the murder plot. Then they've got to cover up what they've done. So they devise a lie that they're going to tell to their father Jacob. And all of this is rebellion against God and how he wants to use them and how he wants to use their brother Joseph. Now, verse 20 They see Joseph coming, and notice the sarcastic remark they use. Here comes that dreamer. They are referencing the dreams that God had given to Joseph. Now, in those days, folks understood that God often communicated to people through dreams. And so when Joseph had come to them and said, God's given me a dream, and this is how what he has said in the dream, and they heard it, they knew it was a word from God. But they had decided that they are going to snuff out God's dream for Joseph. So here comes the dreamer. If we can kill Joseph and get rid of him, then we can kill the dream. But folks, no human being has the power and the ability to destroy God's dream for you. Whatever God has that... He has for you and how He wants to use you and how He wants to anoint you and the path that He's got for you. Only our disobedience can stop that dream from happening. Don't allow discouragement and opposition to smother the dream that God has for you. Because God will, one way or another, see those dreams through to reality. 1 John 4.4 says, Greater is He who is within you than he who who is within the world. Now notice what they do when Joseph walks up to them. They've been plotting. And Joseph comes up and he's got that robe on. And chances are he's got some big smile on his face. And the robe irritated him enough, the smile probably irritated him even more. And he walks up and he says, hey, how are you guys doing? Good to see you. And he is not greeted with smiles. And I'm glad to have you in camp. They grab him And they strip the robe off of him. And as soon as they grab him, Joseph knows that trouble is happening. And they begin to pull that robe off of him. No doubt they begin to throw punches on him. And then there is a pit over there. And they throw him into the pit. And as they are stripping the robe off of him, they are stripping Joseph's identity off of him. Joseph begins to realize through that experience that he is losing some things. First of all, he is losing family. He's losing family in two ways. He's losing family in that as he has a robe stripped from him and they beat him up and throw him into the pit, he's realizing, I can't go back to Hebron. I can't go back to dad. I can't go back to his protection. I can't go back to his provision. I can't go back to that safety of being at home under dad because now I'm totally in the hands of my brothers who hate me. And I have lost my brothers They despise me. They are jealous of me. So I can't go back to dad. I can't go back to home. And I don't have brothers anymore. I have lost my family. The second thing he realizes is that he's lost. Is he's lost total control. That robe that he was wearing spoke of his authority. 
his identity. As long as he had the robe on, he was the guy in charge. They knew it. Everybody who saw him knew that he was in charge. But with the robe stripped off of him, he has no role anymore. He has no authority anymore. He has lost total control. He loses his wealth. Interesting enough, there is a verse over in the Gospel of John that references back to Jacob and Joseph that says that Jacob gave Joseph a plot of land. Now, in those days, one of the major ways that you measured wealth was by the ownership of land. Jacob didn't own much land, and what he had, he gave to Joseph. So when they grab him and strip the robe and throw him into the pit, he's losing his claim to the land that his dad had given him. So he's losing his wealth. And it looks like the dreams that God had given him are never going to happen. You see, he looks around, and when he was wearing the robe, and when he had his dad, and when he had his land, it was easy to see how the dream would come true. It was easy to look through his life and say, man, uh, God's given me these dreams of how I'm going to be an authority, and how my brothers are going to serve me, and how I'm going to be in a great big position, and I can see that as long as I'm walking around this robe, I got the dress for it, I got the authority for it, I got the land for it. I've got it. And now all, the, all of the resources to make the dream come true are gone. And he's in a pit. And sometimes God takes us through times in our lives when he gives us a calling, he gives us direction, he shows us his will, he gives us a dream, and we look around our life and we say, well, I can see how this can happen. I see i got this resource and that resource and this person's in my life. I can see how all this is going to come together to make this happen. And then before we know it, we lost everything and we're wondering, God, how in the world is this dream going to happen when all the resources to make the dream happen are gone? But God will carry His will through in our lives if we will walk with Him. Notice what they do with Joseph. They throw him in a pit. And he is totally at the mercy of his brothers down in that pit. Now, 20 years later, when his brothers are recounting this incident, they add something to it that this chapter doesn't have. And that is that down in the pit, Joseph begins to cry out to them in distress. In other words, they are sitting there eating their dinner, looking at that robe ripped off, laughing and talking about how now the dreamer is down in the pit and they got control over him. And they can hear Joseph down in the pit yelling out, Help me! Help me! Please forgive me! I won't hurt you. I, you know, I get in that position of authority. I'll help you. He's yelling anything he possibly can yell out so that they'll come over there and get him out of the pit. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And they just laugh at it. As they listen to him cry out from that pit. Now think about Joseph. After a while, Joseph begins to realize all this hollering and yelling and crying out didn't get me anywhere. He listens to them plotting what they're going to do. Shall we kill him? Reuben is pleading for his life. He's pulling for Reuben. Maybe the oldest Reuben will get him out of the pit. Otherwise, he knows he's going to die. And at the very worst, they may just leave him in the pit with no water in the hot desert. And what a horrible death to literally die of thirst 
all by yourself. So what's Joseph got in the pit? He has no water. He has no family. He has no wealth. There's no way for him to get out. What does Joseph have in the pit? Joseph has one thing in the pit. He's got the Word of God. You see, that dream that he received from God was God's Word to him. And they couldn't take the Word of God away from him. They couldn't take the plan and the will of God away from him. They could strip him of everything else, but they could not strip him of the Word of God. And so there in that pit, Joseph has to make a critical decision. And folks, most of the tough decisions we have to make in life about where we're going in life are not made on a nice highway going somewhere. They are made in a pit. Because it's when we get in the pits that we have to make the decisions that determine the direction of our lives. In that pit, he has to decide, I'm going to cling to the Word. I'm going to rest in the Word. I'm going to have to run in the power of the Word. i got to touch the Word. i got to handle the Word. i got to consume the Word. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11 says, speaking of the Word of God, It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. Listen, when God says that His Word is going to accomplish in your life what He wants it to accomplish, often what He wants it to accomplish is to encourage us and to strengthen us and to give us what it is to put one foot in front of the other and keep on going. Not to get ground down in life, but to stand up and say, hey, I can move forward because the Lord is here. Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. Your words were found. And I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Now, I want to examine that verse. Notice what Jeremiah says at a difficult time in his life. Your words, not his words. God, your words were found. And then notice the verb that he uses here. And I did what? I ate them. He didn't say I looked at them. He didn't say I thought about them. He didn't say, well, that's a nice thing to see is is the words of God. He said I ate the words of God. Now, when I was growing up, cafeteria eating was real popular. Unless you're old, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, all right? Because cafeteria eating is sort of falling out of. But the thing about cafeteria, and you know, they got one in, in Roanoke called K&W. And I told the young people I'd gone to K&W, and they looked at me and said I'd gone to Canaan's and Walker's. I didn't know they had that, that term, et cetera. <laughs> if you go to, go to a cafeteria to eat... I love Mark Lowry. He used to say, I know I'm getting older because I'm enjoying cafeterias now. But if you go to a cafeteria, you walk in there and you see all that food. They got all them salads out there, the first thing that you look at. And then you get into the main entrees. Then you get to the bread. And then they got those desserts right at the end. And it's set up that way because by the time you get to the desserts, you already spent more money. You know, you all have any business spending. Then they got the desserts sitting out there. And they always got the whipped cream and stuff just piled on top of it. And you just, I mean, your mouth is watering. You just got to have one of them, uh, et cetera. So what do you do is you go through there. You're looking at all of it. And you're observing all of it. And you're smelling all of it. And you're thinking, man, I think I want that. And I think I want the other. 
but not till you reach out and say, give me that, and then you eat it, does it do you any good? And for a lot of us, what we tend to do with the Word of God is we observe it like it's on the cafeteria menu, but we leave it there. Man, it looks good sitting there. It sounded good in church this morning. I like the fact that I got a, a Bible sitting at home out there where I can see it. Or I've got it as an app on my phone. But that's as far as it goes. Jeremiah says, I ate it. You see, when you, you eat food, it comes inside of us. And we start drawing off of the nutrients that are in it. And we start doing, walking in the power of it. Have you ever had your blood sugar drop on you and how weak and, and cruddy you feel? And then you eat and about 15 to 20 minutes later, you feel like a new person? That's because you're drawing off the energy that's in the food. Jeremiah said, I ate the word. I, I consumed it. I put it inside of me. And notice what he said. He says, it became a joy to me. In other words, it brought the joy of the Lord to my life. He said, it became the delight of my heart. And then he said, then I knew I was called by you. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, I knew at that point, God, I belong to you. Now notice verse 28. It says that, Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites for a whole bunch of silver. Now follow what happens to Joseph. They pull him out of the pit. They say, we're not going to murder him. And he's probably saying, thank God. And then they say, we're going to sell you. And Joseph's like, oh great, where am I going now? Well, we're going to sell you to these Midianites over here. And so Joseph's with a bunch of strangers headed to who knows where. And now he's at the total mercy of a bunch of strangers. And he must have felt as he went down that road, I don't know where I'm going. I have no control over what's happening. And I feel like I've lost just about everything. Now, folks, we're going to have seasons in life when we feel just like Joseph. That's something strange has grabbed a hold of our lives. And it's taken us we don't know where. We're at the mercy of a doctor's report. Waiting for test results. That we know have the power to change everything in our lives. We get on the internet. And we're being cyber bullied by somebody. And we're at the mercy of being trashed all over the place and hoping that our reputation is some semblance of intact by the time they get through with us. And we feel like we're at the mercy of the cyber bully. Some of you go to work this week and you're at the mercy of a boss that some days you feel like probably just wants to get rid of you or enjoys extracting blood out of you. And you are at their mercy. You're at the mercy of a breakup of a relationship that was a dream. Joseph was at the mercy of forces in his life he had no control of. And what made it worse, he felt like didn't give a flip about him. And all he could do was hang on to God's word and trust the Lord. When they sold Joseph to the traders, 
he consumed the word. On his way to Egypt with those strangers, he held on to God's word. When they sold him in Egypt to another stranger and a stranger future, he believed the word. And you see, God gets us to the place where all we have is the word of God so that we know that all we need is a word from God. And when God gets you to that place where we are living in the Word and eating the Word and consuming the Word and the Word of God has to become a part of I'm not just reading it to make myself feel spiritual for the day. I'm reading it because I, and studying it and taking it into my life because I'm desperate to get a Word from God and live in that Word from God. When we do that, we begin to walk in faith. And when we begin to walk in faith, we begin to walk in the miraculous. You see, the reason God's taking us on that journey and we're saying, God, why are you stripping everything away from my life? God's saying, I'm going to try to get you to my word so I can get you to start walking in faith, so I can get you to start walking in the miraculous. God wants us to start walking and seeing some things happening around us and in our lives that cannot be explained apart from God's miraculous intervention. The story of Jesus, the story of Joseph, points us to the story of Jesus. Think about it. Jesus was stripped of his robe at the cross. By the time Jesus gets to the cross, save his mom... He's lost pretty much all of his family members. They don't follow him there. He has lost his status. He was known as the teacher, the rabbi, and he was known as the healer. But he doesn't have any kind of status but that of a criminal by the time he gets to the cross. Jesus seemingly has lost total control by the time he gets to the cross. He loses his friends. He's thrown into the pit of the cross. He is rejected by the people who are closest to him. Hanging on to the word of God, his last words are, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he dies. And all of his dreams look like they've died. And people look up at him and say, what a shame. He seemed to have a nice dream, but the dream is gone. It's dead. And from Gethsemane to the darkness of Easter morning, the dream seems to be dead. And then, as the sun is barely beginning to break through in the early morning hours, the ground in the garden where he's buried begins to shake. And it starts with a small shake, and it gets stronger, and it gets stronger, until it becomes a violent earthquake, shaking that garden. 
Because the dream hadn't died. The dream is more alive than ever. I think maybe God shook that garden that morning to say, my promises have got all kinds of power. They can shake up anything. My presence can shake up anything. They had taken a whole bunch of guards, big, strong Roman soldiers to roll the stone across the tomb to say that Jesus was dead and the dream was dead and it was sealed and put away. But one angel comes down. God don't have to have a whole bunch of people to get rid of a big rock. He sends one angel who basically comes down and sounds like he just sort of flicks his hands and the stone rolls away. And then Jesus walks out in resurrection power. You see, the Word of God is operative and works in our lives. And when we eat it and consume it, what we're taking in is resurrection power. And it is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that means that His dreams are going to come true. It's not wishful thinking. It's not hoping on our part. If God says He's going to do something, you can mark it down. He's going to do it. And if you have questions about it, go back to the tomb and see that it is empty. He kept that promise. Keeping the rest of it is no big deal. And what was His dream that He was so caught up about? It was you. You and I were His dream. He dreamed that He would call us that He would save us, that He would cleanse us, that He would claim us. He dreamed that He would raise us up and fill us with the Holy Spirit. He dreamed that His dreams for us would be lived out through our lives. He dreamed that He would have the power and the resurrection planted into us for those dreams to be lived out. And He's still dreaming. He dreams about how He wants to take us and use us. He dreams about how He wants to take you and use you. And He dreams about the day that He's going to look over at Gabriel and say, Get your trumpet and start sounding it because they're all coming home to spend eternity with me. That's the dream that He's got. The resurrection power of Jesus is the true joy that we can walk in. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.